Far-left trans activists want to turn the state of Minnesota into a sanctuary for unfit parents who kidnap their children for the purpose of chemically castrating them or forcing them to undergo surgeries that mutilate their bodies. Everyone in the country needs to be very concerned about this kind of legislation because it is designed to undermine other states' child protection laws. In addition, in our Behind the Headlines segment, House Republicans stopped Washington, D.C.'s plan to allow legal immigrants to vote, and the White House continues to push an assault weapons ban. All that and more on today's episode of Founding Principles with me, your host, Doug Wardlow. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. Democrats won complete control of Minnesota government in the midterm election, and they are bringing forward far-left bills at a rapid-fire pace, transforming the state into a cold version of California. But the legislation I'm going to talk about today is one of the most disturbing, dangerous, and appalling policy proposals ever put forward anywhere in the country. And every conservative in the entire country needs to be aware of this, because the terrible bill won't just affect Minnesota. It reaches beyond Minnesota's borders and attempts to undo good, common-sense, conservative child protection legislation in other states. What happened in Minnesota in the midterm election is a cautionary tale for purple states across the country. Minnesota Democrats are demonstrating just what happens when the left gains control of the state's entire government. The moment they won complete power, the Democrats stopped pretending to care about bipartisanship or the preferences of voters or constitutional rights or freedom or or the rule of law. Instead, they have gone about pushing forward their radical, extreme, far-left, socialist, anti-family, culture-destroying, constitution-trampling agenda as fast as they possibly can. One of the latest and most horrendous examples of far-left Minnesota Democrats and far-left lunacy is their bill that would make the state a refuge for people who want to force their children to undergo so-called gender-affirming therapies and surgeries. The bill should terrify good people across the country. Democrat State Representative Lee Finke, himself a gender-confused individual who claims a gender identity different from his God-given sex, authored the bill, House File 146. Representative Finke said that he hopes the bill, quote, would make Minnesota into a transgender refuge state by protecting transgender people, their families, and medical practitioners from the legal repercussions of traveling to Minnesota to receive gender-affirming care, close quote. This bill is even worse than similar legislation that was recently passed in California, and like I said, it has implications that go far beyond the borders of the state of Minnesota. Indeed, that's the point of the bill. It is an attempt to undermine other states' laws protecting children from the horrors of the trans agenda. And that's why conservatives across the country need to mobilize to help stop this bill from becoming law in the state of Minnesota. So what exactly would this bill do? Well, for one, the bill would prevent law enforcement from enforcing a parental custody order from a different state if the non-custodial parent takes the child to Minnesota for the purpose of receiving so-called gender-affirming treatments or surgeries. In other words, if a court in another state awards one parent custody and the other parent, against the wishes of the parent who has custody, takes their son or daughter to Minnesota to have puberty blockers administered or to undergo chemical castration or a surgery that mutilates their bodies, the bill would prevent police officers and courts in Minnesota from taking the child away from the kidnapping parent. Basically, the bill is intended to make sure that other states' child protection laws don't have any effect on kids who happen to be in Minnesota even if a completely unfit parent defies a court order, kidnaps their son or daughter, and drags them to the state, just so long as the purpose of the trip is to receive medical interventions that support the delusion that the child's gender is something other than the child's actual biological sex. Similar legislation recently passed in California, and has already had a severe and negative impact on children, including at least one child from a different state. 
The Daily Wire recently reported that the mother of a nine-year-old boy from Texas abducted her son and took him to California in order to subject him to treatments intended to transition her son from a boy to a girl. The new California law will override the protests of the boy's father, ensuring that the mother is able to have her son undergo the gender transition treatments. But the bill is even worse than, than that. In addition to preventing a court or law enforcement uh, from enforcing an out-of-state court order to remove a child because the child's parents assisted the child in obtaining so-called gender-affirming care in Minnesota, the Democrats' insane trans refuge bill allows Minnesota courts to interfere with child custody determinations made by courts in other states. In fact, the bill would grant Minnesota courts temporary emergency jurisdiction over custody matters if the child happens to be in the state and the child has been unable to obtain gender transition treatments elsewhere. This provision is arguably even crazier and more potentially harmful than the first terrible and insane provision. Temporary emergency jurisdiction is usually only granted if a child is abandoned or if the child is threatened with abuse. But under the Democrats' Trans the Kids bill, a Minnesota court can take jurisdiction and issue a child custody order just because the child's parent has not been able to get a doctor in their home state to conduct a genital mutilation surgery or drug their child with chemicals that stop their natural development. Basically, instead of granting a court temporary emergency jurisdiction in order to remove a child from the custody of an abusive parent, this bill gives courts the power to take jurisdiction in order to give custody of a child to an abusive parent. Because a parent who leads a, a child to believe that their gender is not the same as their actual biological sex is abusing that child. Other states are recognizing that fact. Oklahoma is advancing legislation that will make it a felony offense to perform gender transition surgeries on children or to administer gender transition treatments like puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. Oklahoma lawmakers also voted to bar state funds from paying for gender transition procedures. But the radical far-left Democrats in Minnesota want to undermine common-sense laws like the ones moving toward passage in Oklahoma and Tennessee and other states. Like the radical Democrats in California, Minnesota Democrats want to interfere with the decisions of voters in sister states and undermine sister state court decisions, all for the purpose of transing the kids. Of course, the radical left trans activist crowd doesn't actually care about children. If they did, they wouldn't ignore the tremendous dangers associated with these irreversible so-called gender transitions. They wouldn't favor mutilating kids. Consider the well-documented physical risks posed by so-called gender affirmation treatments and surgeries. These procedures have very serious, long-lasting effects on a person's health. For example, hormone therapy can cause infertility and increase the risk of certain cancers. The changes to a child's body, including, for example, the development of breasts or the deepening of the voice, are pretty much permanent, or at the very least, extremely difficult to reverse. And that's not all. According to Dr. Michelle Cortella, former executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, cross-gender hormones increase a child's risk for coronary disease and sterility. Puberty suppression hormones prevent the, the development of secondary sex characteristics, arrest bone growth, decrease bone accretion, and prevent full maturation of the brain. Oral estrogen, which is administered to gender dysphoric boys, may cause thrombosis, cardiovascular disease, weight gain, elevated blood pressure, decreased glucose tolerance, gallbladder disease, and breast cancer, among other things. So-called gender confirmation surgeries, such as double mastectomy or phalloplasty, disfigure and mutilate the body. The procedures can cause scarring, chronic pain, and a host of other complications. They are irreversible, and the long-term effects are just not understood at all. Perhaps even worse than the physical risks and the mutilation are the emotional and psychological injuries caused by these so-called treatments. Many people who undergo these procedures struggle with feelings of regret and dissatisfaction with the results. After all, it is impossible to change one's sex, 
So all that these treatments and surgeries do is maim and mutilate the patient so that they can imitate and put forward the illusion that they are a member of the opposite sex. Not surprisingly, research has shown that a significant number of individuals who identify as transgender regret undergoing gender confirmation surgery, and a very, very large number of those who undergo hormone therapy also experience emotional distress and psychological difficulties. No one can honestly dispute these facts. Now, when it comes to minors, the risks and harms posed by so-called gender-affirming treatments and surgeries are even more pronounced. Children and teenagers are still developing both physically and emotionally, and subjecting them to these ghastly procedures no doubt has even more profound negative impacts on their overall well-being. The fact is that children cannot possibly understand the implications of undergoing a so-called gender transition procedure. We don't trust a child to decide whether to cross a street on their own. We don't let them vote or make contracts or drive or handle dangerous machinery. So it is sheer lunacy to pretend, as the radical left does, that, say, a young boy can somehow know that they are actually a girl, or vice versa, or understand the long-term consequences of mutilating their own body in order to pretend that they are a member of the opposite sex. Now, the radical left trans activists constantly repeat that suicide rates are very high among trans-identifying people, and that's true. But here's what they never tell you. Suicide rates remain high even after social transitions, surgeries, hormone therapy, and other treatments. The best data we have show that suicidality is highest several years after gender transition surgeries and treatments. So there is absolutely no basis for the assertion that affirming the chosen gender identities of trans-identifying people improves their mental health. It simply does not. What affirming the sad and unfortunate delusions of trans-identifying people does do is encourage them to undergo harmful, dangerous treatments that mutilate their bodies. The long-lasting psychological scars are frightening. Transaffirmance is also damaging our society. Kids have a very have very neuroplastic brains, and they are very susceptible to peer and societal suggestion. The trans activist crowd and all the woke media companies and other popular culture forces that support them have made being trans trendy, leading to huge, never-before-seen increases in the rate of kids who are claiming a gender identity that is different from their God-given sex. The activists are confusing children and leading them into very dangerous and harmful delusions. You know, and contrary to the ridiculous but oft-repeated claims of the far-left World Professional Association for Transgender Health, known as WPATH, there is no scientific consensus that even social transition, that is living as if one is a member of the opposite sex, is an appropriate treatment for gender dysphoria in children, let alone surgeries and puberty blockers and hormone treatments. Indeed, it is well established that the vast majority, somewhere between 70 and 97.8%, up to 98%, of biological male children who express gender dysphoria revert to a gender identity consistent with their biological sex by late adolescence or adulthood. So why do trans activists and the far left keep pushing to trans our kids? Why are Democrats in California and Minnesota seemingly so keen to push these dangerous medical interventions on as many children as possible? Well, it's not about the kids. It's about the gender-confused adults. They want everyone to celebrate the path that they have chosen for themselves. They want affirmation. The communists and socialists on the left, meanwhile, view the transgender activist crowd as useful to their own ends. Transing the kids helps destabilize the family, and it fights against the truth of God and the moral rules for society that God has established. The left seeks to tear down the family and tear down external standards of conduct in order to replace their society with the communist paradise, or more accurately, the hellscape that they envision. So we must stand strong and fight on. What gender-confused children need is love and nurturing care that helps them accept the beautiful gift of their God-given biological sex. 
What they absolutely do not need is adults who prey upon them and coddle and encourage delusions, pushing them down paths of medical interventions that will lead to profound dissatisfaction with life and terrible adverse mental, emotional, and physical consequences. Hopefully, at least one Democrat in Minnesota Senate will see the error of the, of the Minnesota Trans Refuge Bill and vote against it. The Democrats only hold the state Senate by a single vote margin. If enough people contact Minnesota Senate Democrats and voice their opposition, maybe we can stop this terrible bill from ever becoming law. So far, however, the radical left Democrats have held together lockstep on all of their extreme leftist proposals. It is up to conservatives to prioritize the issue of protecting our children. Things have gotten to the abysmal and ridiculous point at which we find ourselves because people of good conscience have been cowed into silence. That must not continue. We must speak up. We must stand up for truth. We must stand in defense of children and the family. We must stand in defense of our faith because without faith and strong families, we will never be able to renew the promise of America for future generations. And now it's time for Behind the Headlines. Before we get to behind the headlines, if you like the content that we are providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment in the comment section. Doing all those things helps us tremendously. So, so really appreciate that if you'd consider doing those things. So on to behind the headlines. First up today, House Republicans passed a resolution to stop Washington DC's plan to allow illegal immigrants to vote in local elections. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, you know, the way the DC uh, government is organized. The D.C. Council has a number of crazy people on it. They're all leftists. And then the federal government is actually has power over that council and, and, and can approve and uh, or disapprove anything that the council passes. So uh, the Republicans in the House, joined by 42 Democrats, uh, put together a resolution and blocked the, the uh, D.C. government's plan to allow illegal immigrants to vote in local elections only. Now, it was for local elections only, but we all know that nothing would stop them from voting in other elections, not that it would have any, any effect in D.C., because every single vote just about in D.C. goes for Democrats. It's like, you know, 80-20 or 90-10 kind of margins. Uh, but the point here is it's important to stop it in D.C., because if they would have passed that in D.C., it would have been a model that Democrats could use in other places around the country. So it's very good news that the House put a halt to D.C.'s effort to allow illegals to vote. And, you know, we need more election reform measures, and we can't just stop illegals from voting. We need to do more to actually reform our elections and increase election security uh, in places all across the country. Republicans have led the charge on many common-sense election integrity initiatives in many states, but much, much more work remains to be done. And, you know, the Republican majority in the House, the new Republican majority, is doing a lot of very good things. And we need to uh, voice our appreciation and praise them uh, when they stand up for our conservative principles and when they do these things. But remember, doing things like stopping the illegals from voting, well, that's really the bare minimum. Uh, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that it should ever be contemplated that illegal immigrants could vote. When Republicans stand up for the right to life, that's really the bare minimum, too. When Republicans prevent the distribution of pornography and LGBT propaganda in elementary schools, again, bare minimum. All these things are worthy of praise, but the GOP needs to do much, much more. We need to go on the offense. How on earth, you might ask, did we get to a place where any unit of government anywhere in the country could even propose allowing illegal immigrants to vote or taking custody of children away from parents who want to protect their kids from gender transition surgeries or allowing kids access to pornographic material in school libraries? How did we get to these things? How do we get to a place where this is even contemplated? Well, it's because conservatives in the past have not been willing to engage in the culture war. And we need to start doing that more and more and more. We need to raise our voices and push against these things and make sure our elected officials are doing that as well. 
Today, the left pushes all those terrible things, and they cheer it as if it's good. They even use the Department of Justice to go after parents who dare voice their displeasure with the insanity that the left is pushing at our schools. On the right, we got too many spineless cowards who duck and run, afraid of engaging in that culture war. They want to play small ball. They want to trim around the edges, rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Well, that's just not enough. Now, we don't all need to agree on everything, and there's always going to be some number of moderates in the Republican Party. But we need to marginalize them. The real power in the party needs to be the conservative wing of the party. We all need to work to push those worthless rhino establishment swamp creatures to the fringe of the party or out of it altogether. Electing Republicans who capitulate on every issue is no better than electing Democrats. Second up today, every once in a while, I'll, you know, I, I browse far left websites just to see what kind of crazy opinions and to use the left's favorite word, disinformation, the opposition is, is putting out there. You gotta, you gotta know your enemy, you gotta know the opposition. Somehow online left-wing publications managed to be even crazier than legacy media leftists like you know, Brian Stelter and Don Lemon and the like. It's remarkable, but true. Reading left-wing publications online is like entering the twilight zone. Nothing makes sense, and it's all quite terrifying. So for this story, we go to the Daily Coast, a cesspit of leftist garbage, and the state of, after the State of the Union address, you know, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave the GOV response. It was, it was very good. It was quite solid. She correctly identified the problems of the radical left, gave a clear picture of our path forward, and was generally acceptable to all audiences. Well, the Daily Coast, they saw it very differently. Take a look at this political cartoon from the Daily Coast. They depicted Sarah Huckabee Sanders in a straitjacket, saying the choice is between normal and crazy, while a donkey looks into the padded cell and says, we agree on one thing. This joke is, like most left-wing humor, not very funny. Left-wing humor tends not to really work because good jokes have to be grounded in reality. And this joke, it's not. The humor here stands or falls on whether Governor Sanders, or every Republican, is crazy. You know, they have to, you have to accept that every Republican's crazy, essentially, for this joke to work. And, and that's just not true. Well, let's recap a little bit. The Democrats, what are they doing? They are pushing unrestricted abortion up until birth, allowing millions of illegal immigrants across our southern border, and growing the size of government to insane levels, pushing the national debt to a point where we'll never be able to get out from under it. Democrats, they celebrate when doctors are able to mutilate gender-confused children. They demonize the police while refusing to prosecute criminals who are rampaging through our cities. It's terrible what they're doing. And, you know, the Democrats are pushing all of these crazy, crazy things, and they call the Republicans crazy? Well, the Democrats, they cheer when the federal government coerces big tech to silence conservatives, violating Americans' First Amendment rights. And they want to teach our kids that America is an evil place. Meanwhile, conservative Republicans want to protect children, protect the unborn, restore law and order, focus education on math, science, and reading, and not, and not uh, crazy left-wing propaganda. They want to protect parents' rights, constitutional rights, to control and direct the upbringing and education of their children and make sure that all Americans can freely voice their opinions and freely worship God. So considering all that, which side is crazy? I think the answer is pretty clear. Third and finally today, the Biden White House is using a California handgun attack to push an assault weapons ban. After a handgun that was used in the Monterey Park shooting was confiscated by a nearby citizen, the Biden White House used the terrible crime and tragedy to push an ideological goal of the far left, an assault weapons ban. Take a look at the White House's tweet. They praised the citizen who disarmed the shooter. He saved lives, and that is definitely true. But then the White House says that Congress can save lives by passing an assault weapons ban. Of course, that doesn't make any sense. Taking a gun away from an attacker definitely does save lives, but a law that disarms law-abiding citizens doesn't take guns away from criminals. Criminals tend not to follow the law, so they're going to ignore that assault weapons ban. They're not going to give up their guns. So you're just all you're doing is disarming the law-abiding citizens. 
So banning guns, all it does is embolden would-be shooters. And that's just one problem with the White House's message. Here's another. What exactly is an assault weapon? Well, the left has several different working definitions. One is a weapon that can do great damage. Another is a scary long weapon that shoots bullets really fast. Yet another one is a high-caliber magazine rifle. Or, to paraphrase a CNN reporter, quote, something you can shoot on fully semi-automatic, close quote. Okay, and don't think that makes any sense at all. Look, the left knows about as much about guns as I know about 13th century Russian literature, which is to say, absolutely nothing. Depending on what far left nut job you ask, when they refer to an assault weapons ban, they might be referring to a ban on all semi-automatic weapons or all rifles or all guns, period. They will use models like Australia and Canada and the United Kingdom and other formerly free countries that are now totalitarian dictatorships in need of liberation. The Second Amendment has come into fire in the past couple of decades, so it's worth remembering why it exists. Hunting, shooting for sport, and home defense are all perfectly valid ways to exercise your Second Amendment rights. But it's not the reason that the founders put the Second Amendment into the Bill of Rights. Remember, our nation was founded by people who were pushing against the tyranny of British rule. America started when a ragtag group of patriots took on the greatest empire the world has ever seen and then won. We won because we trained common men and gave them weapons to defend and fight against tyranny. The Founding Fathers were all suspicious of government because they knew that, in the wrong hands, government would encroach on our God-given rights. They understood the universal truth that power always accumulates, concentrates, centralizes, and grows, and that men are fallible, and under the sway of growing power, the vices of human beings are magnified, and the rights of the people are in dire jeopardy. Our Second Amendment exists to ensure that government does not have a monopoly on arms. That's very important. The knowledge that the population is armed alone is a significant deterrent to the growth of tyranny. Now it's time to answer a question submitted by a member of our audience. Every show I answer one question submitted by viewers and listeners. You can email your questions to the address in the description uh, for the show, or you can just drop them into the comment section below the description. Either way will work. Today our question comes from Matt in Glendale, Arizona. Matt asks, you ran for Minnesota Attorney General. What can state attorneys general do to fight critical race theory? Well, that's a very good question, Matt. Critical race theory is a terrible thing. It's evil. It is immoral. Uh, it is racist. You know, it turns Martin Luther King Jr. upside down. It turns upside down the proposition that we should judge people based on the color, not based on the color of their skin, but rather on the content of their character. Now, that's what we need to do, but critical race theory doesn't do that. What it does is it creates hostile environments within classrooms that discriminate on the basis of race. You know, I've heard of exercises uh, in certain school districts in Minnesota where a teacher will divide kids up in the classroom and, and assign one group of kids uh, the role of oppressor and the one, another group of kids the role of the oppressed. How terrible is that? I mean, it, it's telling people, telling children to judge people based on the color of their skin and also telling them that, you know, if you have a certain skin color, then you are an oppressor uh, and, and you should be ashamed of yourself. And to the other group, it's saying, well, you guys are victims and you are oppressed, and therefore don't even bother striving, don't try, because you can't do anything about it. You need outside assistance in order to obtain goals because you have been oppressed. Uh, so it's a terribly destructive thing uh, to teach in our schools, and we need to root it out from our schools. You know, it's, So it's immoral, it's evil, it turns Martin Luther King Jr. upside down, but you know what else? It's also uh, illegal, because critical race theory, to the extent that uh, teachers are using critical race theory and using the techniques of critical race theory to create environments in the classroom that discriminate on the basis of race, hostile environments that discriminate on the basis of race, well, that violates state anti 
discrimination laws, and it also violates federal anti-discrimination laws. So what state attorneys general should be doing is investigating school districts uh, for possible racial discrimination created in classrooms uh, when they apply critical race theory techniques and techniques and create those hostile environments that discriminate on the basis of race. An attorney general could then send a letter to a school district once they find out what's going on and tell them to stop doing that, tell them to stop discriminating on the basis of race in classrooms or creating hostile environments that are discriminatory. Uh, and sometimes it, all it will take is a letter from the attorney general to put an end to it because that has a lot of weight and force. And if they don't stop, then the attorney general might be able to bring a lawsuit and force them to stop in court. So that's what an attorney general can do to help fight critical race theory in our schools. Well, that's all for today's episode of Founding Principles. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like the content we are providing, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, like the video, drop a comment in the comment section. Doing all those things helps us uh, tremendously. It'll help us grow the show and multiply its impact. And please be sure to tune in next time for Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow.